Hello and welcome to Behind the Job. I'm Scott Salter. Now, Behind the Job is a new podcast and video series from Higher Window. And each week we'll be speaking to a different person in STEM industries. We'll be getting insight from them into what it's like to work within those STEM industries and also some advice for current students looking to go into full-time work or perhaps post-grad study in those subjects. Today, we're speaking to Dr. Helen Tanton. Now, Helen is a postdoc research fellow at the Dana-Farber Cancer Institute in Boston. She provided some great insight into life, postgrad, and postdoc, into transitioning into working in America, and some great advice for anyone considering continuing their education past undergrad studies. It's a really good one, and I hope you enjoy it and get a lot out of it. So here's Helen. I'm joined today by Helen Tanton. Helen is a postdoc research fellow at the Dana-Farber Cancer Institute out in Boston. Helen, how are you? I'm very well, thank you. How are you? Perfect. Thank you very much for, for joining us. I wonder if first of all you could give us a quick introduction into, into yourself, your, your career, your education and, and what you're doing now and how you ended up at the Dana-Farber Institute. Yes, I did, I did my bachelor's degree at the University of Bristol in okay. physiological science and I really enjoyed the cellular and molecular aspects of my degree. So I searched for PhDs in that sort of area. So I applied for about seven different PhD programs, got two or three interviews, and got a place at one at the University of Liverpool. So it was a PhD in cellular and molecular physiology. And the first year was made up of like a master's year where I rotated around different labs. It was funded by the Wellcome Trust, and this is a classic this is, this is very normal for them. They do one year where you rotate around labs, find out what you enjoy doing and what you'd like to spend your PhD researching. Okay. And then the next three years, <clears throat> excuse me, the next three years working, working in, in the lab that I've chosen uh, to complete my PhD. And then I think towards year two, year three, the, the last year of my PhD, I started to feel that I wanted to do a postdoc. I wanted to continue my career in academic science and I particularly wanted to work in in America. I I was told that it it looks very good uh, to work in science in America uh, on your CV and it's a different type of environment. Um, I also thought it would look good as a way of making me seem more independent, you know, if I had that ability to transition to a different different country and a different environment. So I I applied to the Dana Farber Cancer Institute. It's, it's a really great institute, and I was I was lucky enough to to get a postdoc position here. Yeah, and, and going sort of way back, growing up, when did your sort of passion and interest in science start to develop? Was it at a very very young age, or maybe at high school when you started to do more sort of scientific subjects? I think probably GCSEs was when I started to was was the very start of me enjoying science and then when I I went I did my A-levels in biology, chemistry, maths and English literature and 
at first, because I enjoyed science, I assumed I wanted to be a doctor, a medical doctor. Okay. And, <clears throat> and actually had a very good career advisor at my school, and I discussed this with her. And uh, she said, oh, I, don't, I don't think you want to be a medical doctor, I think you want to be a scientist, because <laughs> that's where my, my passion was. So that's when I started really seriously enjoying science and thinking that it was something I, I wanted to have a career in. And fast forward today, obviously the world of sort of postdocs and PhD and research can be quite confusing for sort of current undergrads. What does a day in the life of Helen Tanton look like? Can you talk us through, you know, your day-to-day activities? Yes, it, it's very different. It, it, every day can be very different. I, I'm rarely at my desk. I rarely sit down, um, which I like. The day goes very fast. So during the during the PhD um you, you sort of learn how to be independent. So you're guided by your mentor, but uh, you do trial and error for your experiments. You come in, you do your experiments, you go home, you try again the next day until it works. And um, your mentor will guide you through that process. And then for the postdoc, that continues apart from you're your more independent in a postdoc. So I will very much um, plan my experiments myself. I do keep my my mentor, my boss updated, especially if I have problems. But generally, I, I'm on my I'm on my own, or I discuss problems with my colleagues. So I do lots of different types of experiments. In the postdoc, there's additionally a lot of there can be a lot of writing, writing grants and uh, grant progress reports. I have more responsibilities in the lab, such as making sure that the equipment's working, making sure everything's ordered. So there is a lot more responsibility in a postdoc, but every day can be different because I do different types of experiments. And you never really know when you're going to start. What, you know when you're going to start work. You never quite know when you're going to finish. <laughs> you finish when when it's done. You know when the yeah. experiment or the work is is done. And for current students who might be considering continuing their education and going into PhD level and going into research, what advice would you give them? I would probably advise them to, to make sure it's something that they really wanted to do. It's not a light decision. Um, I, I, I knew I loved science and I wanted a career as a scientific researcher. So for that, I knew I needed to get a PhD. But I worry that some people can when they come out of university, especially because in the UK our, our degrees, undergraduate degrees are quite short, sometimes people feel a bit scared, you know, now I've got to get a job in the big wide world, I don't know what I want to do, where do I go from here? And I think people can think, oh, I'll do a master's or a PhD, you know, stay in the, yeah. the secure educational bubble and and think, oh, well, I enjoy that topic, I'll, I'll do a PhD in it. But that sort of attitude would probably be picked out at inter- during an interview if the interview process is good. Um, and it's important that you, you don't go into a PhD for the wrong reasons because it's, it's very, very tough. And it's tough even for people that love it. So you can imagine how tough it is for people whose heart isn't really in it. Yeah. So I'd say, you know, make sure that it's something that, that you really want to do. Uh, understand what you're getting yourself into. Um, yeah, and your mentor is crucial, actually. I, I, I think it's, it's really worth taking some time into asking other people in the lab how, how they feel doing their PhD, trying to get into contact with them. 
because your mentor, I think, can really make or break a PhD. If you've got someone that's very supportive, then that's fantastic. Um, and if not, or if, if, your, if your PI has, your mentor has a lot of other responsibilities and doesn't have much time for you, that can make it really challenging. And I'm presuming here that you've transitioned quite well into life in America successfully. Um, how was that and how was that experience going into America coming out of British education? It was it was scary at first. I remember being on the flight thinking, oh my goodness, what am I doing? <laughs> this is um, it. Yes, uh, I didn't know anyone in Boston. I'd never been there before. Um, so it, it, it was daunting, but... Um, I was told before I went that American research is more fast-paced, it's more competitive, you'll be working all the time, don't expect to have any breaks or holidays. Um, that was probably a bit dramatic. It, it, can, it can be, it is hard work, but it really depends on the type of lab you're in, what type of mentor you're, you have. Um, so the work-life balance can be, can be difficult, but that can be said of any postdoc probably across the world, whether you're in Europe or America. One thing that I did find difficult is that our, our PhDs in the UK are three years, whereas in the in the US, they're normally at least five, maybe six years long. Okay. So that affects how much you publish papers. So for example, I, got, I published my data from my PhD, in, so I'm the first author on, on one publication from that. Whereas a PhD student in America would probably be expected to publish maybe two or three times. Okay. So when I came here, even though I'm a lot younger as a doctor than, than American uh, students, American postdocs, they have more publications than I. And when I'm applying for American funding, they, they find it strange that I've only got one publication. So it's... It's trying to be competitive against American students that I think can be difficult when they don't realise the process in, in the UK. Mm. And if you were responsible for sort of hiring a new colleague to come and work in, in the lab, a fresh grad maybe, what skills, experience and perhaps personality traits do you think is important in, in your line of work? In terms of experience, I think a lot of people can worry, oh, I don't know how to do that technique, I don't know how to do this. Um, I wouldn't worry about that so much. I think it's good to have enough experience that I would think this person truly wants to do this. Um, but I wouldn't expect loads of experience. You're not expected to know everything before you do a PhD. So just the ability to, to learn, really. Mm -hmm. If I can see examples in someone where I know they're going to pick up techniques and I think it... Personality traits I would look for organization. You've got to be very organized. You have to be able to prioritize experiments. Um, you have to be quite self-motivated and driven, especially if you don't have a mentor that's that's with you all the time. So you have to be able to be independent. Um, and, and, to, and a personality that won't let themselves get too down if, if experiments are failing, because that's normal experiments do fail most of the time but yeah. then when it does work it's great so the ability to get through difficulties and just and pick yourself up when when you're down that's what I've looked for and uh, slightly off piece here but what would your advice be or um, 
your thoughts perhaps on on women in STEM and obviously there's been um, great news recently about Katie Bauman the scientist who obviously captured the, the black hole for the first time and you know for so many young girls are now starting to get into into STEM what would your advice be for them? Yeah, I think it's great. And it's great being in Boston because she's uh, at MIT and that we're actually able to go to a talk on that scene. Oh, which amazing. Is great. Um, I, I, love, I love women in being, being in science. I love hearing about it. It was my mentor at the University of Bristol who was female and she was a professor and had a family. And I thought, right, if she can do it, I can do it as well. Um, I think there's a, there can be um, quite a lot of women in science at the PhD level but you find as as the career progresses then there starts to be a decline and there's a lot less there's a lot fewer sorry um, female um, heads of labs and there has been studies to show that um, on average uh, female scientists get fewer funding less resources um, so what might be advice be for for women in science, you won't you won't be looked down on because you you know it's 2019, luckily. So uh, you would hope that people aren't aren't going to uh, treat you any differently. Um, I'm not sure what I would ad- would advise. Just keep just do what you want to do. <laughs> if it's yeah. something that you're that you're interested in, you have a passion for, just do it and and and, and work things out as you go along. Um, I know Harvard and MIT, for example, you know, this is way, thinking way in the future, if, if it is a concern of some women uh, to have a family at the same time, I know that a lot of big institutions are offering more support there now. And I think what would be important for the field to do is to encourage women back into science, for example, if they have had time off to, to have a child. Um, science moves so quickly. So just missing out on six months to a year can be huge. Yeah. You know, so many discoveries happen in that time. So I think it's um, that's something that they need to work on is making sure, you know, women are able to feel like they can come back. Transition back into, into working. Yes. One, one last thing before we, we let you go. I'm sure you've got lots of, lots of important things to be getting back to. But what is there anything else you would tell sort of our listeners about the benefits of staying in academia and working at the cutting edge of, of research? So th- I would say the, the main advantage of working at, in academia is flexibility, both in the hours that you work, because you can, you know, whenever you work best, you might be a morning person or an evening person, you can work those hours that suit you, but also flexibility in terms of what you want to research. So... In academia, you might find something that's unexpected and interesting, so you can veer off in a different direction to what you'd planned. Um, sometimes the best discoveries are made that way, you know. Yeah. Uh, but in the industry, for example, it's not as flexible as that. Sometimes you are told what you need to work on, and your project might be cut one day because of you know changing priorities or targets or strategy. An industry is run a lot more like a business, uh, which does have its, its advantages, don't get me wrong. But if you're the type of person that enjoys the, the freedom of being independent and coming up with your own ideas, um, taking the project in the direction that you want, then I think that, that person might be might be well suited in academia. Um, 
and of course, it, it's it's very exciting and satisfying to to work at the cutting edge of of research. All the new discoveries are happening, and you might be working on something or or find something out that has never been known before, which yeah. is which is great. You think, oh, I'm currently I'm the only person in the whole world <laughs> knows this, and who does really hell first? <laughs> yes, yeah, and it might not be that big, but to, even small things, it, it feels it feels very satisfying when you when you achieve when you discover something. Amazing. Well, Helen, thank you so much again for joining us. I'm sure this will be really useful for, for those, you know, thinking of going into sort of postdocs and, and PhD levels. So thank you so much. You're welcome. Good. I, I hope it's helpful. Thank you very much. Cheers. Bye-bye. Well, there we are. Dr. Helen Tanton. First of all, thanks to Helen for joining us. I'm sure you'll agree some fantastic and fascinating insight from Helen into postdoc life, you know, the importance of a mentor, transitioning to working in America, women in STEM roles, and also her advice for anyone looking to continue their education into PhD and postdoc level. Next week, we've got another great episode. We'll be speaking to Daniel Benzi, who's the lead software developer at the startup Housey. Dan gave us some great insight into life as a developer, as a hiring manager, what he looks out for in fresh grads, and much more. If you're looking for your perfect fit STEM grad role, sign up to hirewinder.com. And stay tuned next week. Thank you. Behind the Job is a Higher Window podcast. Higher Window is connecting the next generation of STEM leaders with the world's most innovative organizations. We're here for the people who are building the future today. Find your perfect fit role at higherwindow.com. <laughs>